Reload, 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 reload. Come on. A few seconds ago. Yes, 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 yes. Hello, everybody. And welcome to another edition of Fish on Friday. And with my Erdinger alcohol-free beer with added goodies. Special before to embarrass your nose. Mm. Ah. Prost. Okay, let's get into it. Who's in first? Who's in the early doors here? Gary McEachran, Dean Davis, George Connor, Matthew Greenip, Alan Copperstone, Rita Schlecker, from Bayern, Anthony Jackson, Darren Wells, Karen Clark, Chris White, Robert Monroe, Patrick Wooters, good evening from Luxembourg. Uh, it would be nice if you would take a look at the recipe ideas for green tomatoes. In my private message, I shall check out the recipe. Any recipe for green tomatoes is most welcome. Most welcome. Andy Red, five shilling from Plymouth, Sue Clark, Nick Wars, Andrew McClure, the Sabin, David Day, Stuart Lemon, Andy White, Chris Bell, Scott Donaldson, here we go, John Garner, Jean-Tonton Kerr, yes, I am here, it is me, the fish, les poissons, here for you today, in the studio, talking to you here, drinking the beer. Strange week. Uh, it's been a kind of ever-than-nothing week. The good thing that happened this week was this arrived. The gatefold, double album sleeve, Veltschmerz. I left the sound on again. Yeah, yeah, the vinyl arrived. So, um, please stop emailing, asking Simona why you haven't got your album yet. And where is it? They're not being sent out till the 25th, okay? They're not being sent out till the 25th. So please stop sending emails in, asking where your album is. It's not even in the post yet. We've got, um, we've done about uh, 1,600 of these vinyl albums already. And the idea is that um, as of early next week, we have four guys, three Liam's friends that can operate together. And we've got to set up the whole house and do the social distance, Velux opens, open up the, the big French doors, open up the kitchen doors. Every can only work in this area here. We've got a designated toilet and everything else. And they're going to be packing albums. Uh, they've got basically do 400 albums each. And if we get everything packed and ready and under control for um, that weekend of the 25th, then it means that like the following week we can go bang, bang, bang. We've got these things called yokies that are like great big containers that the, the guys for the Royal Mail bring. So rather than sacks, there's great big containers go out. So we're setting ourselves up completely to, to deal with that. So as I said, next week is going to be packing vinyl, packing vinyl, getting that done. My mum has been doing a brilliant job. Uh, she's been packing up the standard CDs, so a lot of you are going to be getting the first standard CDs will be packed by my mum, because she can't go out in the garden at the moment. Her knees haven't been that great, and it's like the weather's been pish, right? So uh, mum's been um, just sticking CDs in for Simona. So we've got a pile of CDs, we get the vinyl done next week, and then the deluxes arrive on the 23rd. And from the 23rd onward, right away through that weekend, we just focus straight on deluxes and just keep on moving, keep on moving. 
and we should be able to do it. It's, you know, don't expect it, <clears throat> you know, immediately, but we'll run through it as fast as possible. You'll have noticed now <clears throat> some of the more astute members. Um, uh, PayPal is now available on the site. If you use the credit card or a debit card, please use Stripe. PayPal is an expensive option for us and it's there to basically assist with people that don't have credit cards and debit cards. So you can use PayPal if you don't have it. I, I remember when I was with Simona in, in Dulac and I went to order stuff online for her and uh, the, she said you can't use the card. And, and it's the rule across there for those in the UK where it's really shit easy to get credit cards these days. Um, it's uh, across in, in, in Europe, they're a lot more stringent to the rules, which means that you know you can go in and use it at ATMs and stuff, but you can't use it on, online. So by putting PayPal on the fish uh, music.scot site, then there is the opportunity for people who don't have credit or debit cards to use it. But if you have a credit or debit card, if you use the Stripe option, where it says, it would be appreciated, thank you. But uh, yeah, we've been playing whack-a-mole again. There's a big fact, uh, fact list going up on the website, uh, should be this weekend as well. Just with the usual stuff, people ask, you know, are the albums going to be signed? No, you know, da-da-da, can I expect this? No, blah, blah, blah. Remember, if, you know, once, once we put a package together and once Simona sends it out, we don't know where it is. There's no point in sending any emails and asking, you know, when is it going to arrive? Because we have got no idea. Um, well, they put the finals on you, uh, there's been stuff being taken months and months and months to arrive, right? But that was most that was the script days at the start of COVID. And I think what happened was that when COVID happened and the lockdown happened, the Royal Mail just and various other postal companies just threw big piles into the corner and then concentrated on what was coming in. And then they addressed the big piles later, which is why some albums were horrendously late. But it's all coming together. This party's over. It's now uh, released as a single. And, you know, for what that is now, I don't get this thing. It's like, you know... I'm used to like going, phoning up people and going, I mean, have we sold much in Ipswich? How are we doing in East Anglia? You know, like, is, you know, is Cardiff, how's the Cardiff shops doing? Can't do that now. So now it's all kind of algorithms and uh, other stuff. I, I just, an old man like me doesn't understand. Um, it's, it's basically, uh, you know, we're sitting here with Garden Remembrance. It's still getting plays, but we're moving up to this impact point where big radios decide whether they're going to play it or not. Um, and this party's over, has now been released, and that's kind of running consecutively, which is kind of, it seems really strange, but that's the way, the way it works these days. I'm glad to be out of it. Right. Right. Um, yeah, so this party's over. It, well, I hope, oh, go away! Pascal uh, Tisoli, hello for Brittany. I'm fine, thank you. Danny Danitzina from Manaus, Manaus, Brazil. Jules Lubert, love from Michigan. International, once again, here we go. Jay Felge, love the new video. Yeah, the, vid the video you can find on, you can find access through the YouTube pages or through the Facebook pages to YouTube and you can see the video. It was great. It was done by Miles Scarron, who's Rob Scarron. Hi, Rob. Hi, Miles. Uh, Rob does um, deals with the website and all kind of things, social media for me. And uh, it was him, that, it was Rob that turned me on to doing this entire Fish on Friday, you know, thing. So, well done that man, well done. But Miles did the, the, the video and as I think I said already, we had to, Dave Barris and Scott Mackay came up with their green screen again. And um, uh, we um, shot me, moi, 
on the green screen and then we sent me down to Miles and Miles used my thing on the green screen to kind of develop this thing and did a brilliant job with all the animation. And it's great having another video that's completely different from all the other ones. It's, um, you know, it's very different obviously from Garden of Remembrance. And the song is Perky. Um, we just hope that Perky works at radio and that maybe we start getting some plays and things. Some wag said on it, he said it's, it's not Fugazi, right? Not as good as Fugazi. No, it's not as Fugazi. It's not Fugazi. It's called This Party's Over. Chris Witt, thank you. Emmanuel Defoe. <laughs> Ramon Van Jeek, thank you for the video. Owen Boyle, just been paid off after 30 years in NHS, but I'm buying the album. Owen, I'm sorry to hear it. Why the hell were you paid off from the NHS? Shite. Yeah, that's another thing. Oh, I've got to say as well, I mean, while that comes in, um, I've got to say thank you very much to Arthur. Um, Arthur down in Sheldon in Birmingham, and he sent me up a, a thing from the sun. You can't see it because it's reversed, but you can see the photograph. That was, that's Zoe 25 um, with myself way back in, when was it? Uh, March the 5th, 2009. Right? And... It's a whole thing about Zoe and stuff. So it was, thank you very much for sending it up because I've got this somewhere. I've got boxes and boxes of memorabilia, really stupid stuff. And um, it's uh, some really crazy stuff like, like do not disturb signs from holiday inns from all across America from the 83 tour. And I used to keep, you know, back in the day when, you know, when we flew places, it was like, and I kept all the stubs. And I kept lots of bits and pieces of things, lots of really stupid things. I've still got something that, that I've got to really have a real rugger about in it, you know? But I've got all the, like, all the contracts from a lot of gigs, like all them, it's a, the American tour. I've still got all the original contracts from New York and Chicago and stuff that I was thinking of getting framed at some point, you know? But, um, but yeah, there's boxes of stuff and I need to go through it before something, yeah, something horrible happens. And um, something horrible has been happening, right? <clears throat> I found them, um, I've got uh, in our in our bathroom. It's sort of like we got a leak underneath the tiles, so the bathroom was put in just over five years ago, and there's something happened with the ground. I still don't know it. And some man, a bloke, has got to come up and basically go into the bathroom and lift up a tile and just find out how bad it is, and I am dreading that because if it's gone underneath, if it's gone under the the wood that the tiles are on and it's not been properly done, then I've got a serious mess to deal with. So. Um, that was part of this week's little, yeah. It doesn't put me in a good frame of mind. Pete McAnally, hi fish from the Englishman in Miami. Maria Luisa Otguiano from Sardinia. Wow. Pindu Santiluca. That sounds Finnish. Adrian Manure from Northamptonshire. Andrew Krask. Copied, you've copied my hairstyles ever since. <laughs> oh. I got a great thing, right, right. This is business. Well, I didn't get it. My wife got it, right. So it's uh, my wife got this. You see that? It's a pillowcase. With my big heat on it. Aye, right. Here we go. Let's all go into the big pillowcase now. Nico Slobbit, thank you very much on behalf of my wife for giving it. She can, if I ever get out on a tour again, ever, then she can have this in her bed beside us. She can. I will this I will not be having this in the bed next to me, I'll tell you that much. Be, that's too narcissistic. That's 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 serious therapy that is. But yeah, 
So it's a pillowcase with um, my purse in it. <clears throat> the other thing I want to say, uh, Robin Elliot. Uh, Robin, I know, is out at the moment, and he said he'll watch it later, but you know, some people were asking about the tartan, right? And uh, this is the tartan. This is my kilt. That's it there. The colours, you may be able to make out. But that's a Keith tartan with a yellow line in it, and that yellow line is what makes it unique and makes it the Dick Tartan. Dick Tartan. Sounds like a highwayman. But yeah, that's my kilt. With a yellow line, Keith Tartan. And it's mine. It's my family's. And I've got a certificate. We were looking for the certificate earlier on, but it's, it's lost in a, a bookcase. It's, you, you, you know what you sleep with bookcases? And then you go, yeah, and it looks great, and it's all tidy, and everything's in order, and you got, there's your art your history subjects, da 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 blah, blah, blah. And then books start going in, and then they get put up the top, and then it's like, and then you decide to move something else. And somewhere in there, there is a certificate which says, I have the Dick Tartan, right? And it's in there amongst all these books that I'm going to have to get sorted out. My mum's been accumulating books. Or she had friends there in her barrack used to always give her paperbacks. And it was like, and it's like, here's something for your mum. It's like 20 like, youth fillers. And she reads them, and then they, they all kind of, they start to move into Mac in a pile, and I'm a, I've always been bad with books. I, I never throw books away. Like I always keep them ever since I was a kid. You know, I always I always had a collection of books. It was like I don't know. It was made me feel good. All the little spines all together and things like Secret Seven, Famous Five, Edgar Rice Burroughs, right? And um, Biggles. That was another one I was into. And uh, but yeah, so all our books have kind of like been have been digested within the house and they've all become they've all found their way into bookcases because I can't throw them out I read the back of one and I go that actually looks okay you know and I'm, I'll keep it for a rainy day right and so I've amassed all these books and at some point I need to go through all the books and I need to go through the vinyl and I need to alphabetize the vinyl and I need to go through all my CDs and throw out all the CDs that I never listen to right I've got so much shite in there like and it's but I've, I've just I've always been a kind of magpie when it comes to that kind of stuff, and it's uh, and you know you end up paying the price. But we don't have enough space in this house to deal with all the packaging and storage. No. Where are we? Kai Pamantha, that's life water. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was the other thing. That was another cracker today. Unlucky Alf. <laughs> I got a phone phone call from a, from a, an Indian gentleman at about half past nine ten o'clock this morning, and it was you know it's the muffled phone calls that you get you know like and it's like and you know as soon as people start going it's the bank it's fraud right you have two reactions one you're about to be scammed really badly or somebody's going to try and scam you right or it's true and you've got shit coming at you in three D right and uh, it was shit in three D. <laughs> Very nice young Indian gentleman. And seemingly I was uh, um, trying trying to book a flight on the Emirates, Emirates Airlines and stuff. I didn't tell the wife, like, oh, it was me. But, uh, no. It was, yeah, so somebody was trying to do Emirates. And then I, I thought, I better check my account out. So I went online and checked my account. Sure enough, 
there's another uh, 1,500 quid that's been taken out on my credit card, right? I've got it all back, so it's, you know, at the end, it's, it's, it's not all over. Everyone's not over. But uh, Mr. Agadopoulos uh, de Sirantia, or whatever your name is, I'm looking for you, mate. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so it was... Uh, yeah, so I'll be told I can't use my, 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 my bank, my business credit card for, I won't get back for another 10 days, which is like, <laughs> oh, I wonder what I could get. Oh, did, we did get someone, that, those are the kind of crappy things. There are a couple of crappy things, but like, none too. But we got this. This is brilliant. I ordered this. Um, we ordered this uh, basically right at the beginning of lockdown because the table that I had, the table and chairs that I had outside, was uh, I think I bought them way back in about two thousand and three, four, or something like that. And he, I'd I'd use the stuff, you know, the stuff you know, like you know, does what it says in the tin, blah blah blah. Table rotted, right? It was just rotted. I think it was probably red wine stains rather than actual rainwater. But I got this. So this is Simone and I's new place. Stunning. The round table. It's like there's something about a round table and chunky chairs. And it's just, it just goes, party, party. Look at the lines, party, 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 party. That just is great. Let's take a walk outside. Welcome to my world. Round table. The sunflowers in the middle are like, the, the nodding heads are just stunning. And they've all come out on the top of the wall. And they're absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, isn't it great? And they're really strong stocks, and I don't know how they keep up there. But yeah, so we've just been emptying the garden out and getting things ready for replanting. Stuck in some uh, six Sapporo cauliflowers, because my mum loves cauliflower. So, I've put them right in front of her window so she can look out in the morning and drool. Uh, she really likes cauliflower. <laughs> and she can watch the curds grow every day from her bedroom window. And everyone else is looking really cool. All the kale and the cabbages and stuff, the Brussels sprouts are all sorted out. You can see the little heads of Sapporo cauliflowers just in there. The tatties have been outrageous. So it's, uh, I'll show you them in a minute. But yeah, the only one thing, if there's anybody out there knows what this is, in the corner, that's a white beam tree. And it came into bud, the leaves came out, and then just basically, rather than sticking out like that, dropped. And it seems, appears to have died. And I don't know what's caused it. So if anybody knows about any kind of weird white beam diseases out there, drop me a line. And the other one is, this is... um. Some one of Simona's favourite roses. This is called the Borgamil Rose. And she bought that when um, um, her Irish wolfhound Borgamil, who was our family dog, uh, had, to, had to go away to doggy, doggy heaven. And the rose was brought back from Durlach, and it's been grown here ever since. And as well as that, these are other roses. But Simona is a dab hand with roses. But it's incredible. I hope the signal stays on. That's our other big rose bushes. And the one on the right, my daughter Tara bought for me for my 40th birthday. 
and it's been absolutely brilliant. It's just it's amazing. It just keeps on blooming. But yeah, it's all, the garden's been great. I've been getting out and doing things. You won't believe this. Right? I said, well, you will. For those of you, for those of you who were watching the Funny Farm um, Kitchen Garden pages, which is, if you're interested in gardening a little bit, I could go up and Simona does a lot of posting up there about her herbs. And in fact, Simona's been doing a lot more posting than I've been recently. But um, she's uh, been posting up and I put a lot of things up at the, part of the early part of the year. But the potatoes, and in amongst all of that, right, I put in a serious bunch of tatties, one of which was our main crop. And that is the main crop. Okay, it's close to the camera, but you can see in the size of my hand, that's a red rooster. And I've got hundreds of these. One of them, right, that's a baked tatty, like, it's difficult to finish. I mean, it's a massive piece of eating. Baldrick would be proud of these. But that is one of my red roosters. Look at that day. Massive on the screen and everything. Potato heat. Ah, oh, puts the potato head. Great. Nice. And, um, so that's all been pretty cool. So, uh, so like I said, with the garden, the tatties are up. We've been putting in a lot of greens and things in preparation for kind of whatever's going to happen to us in the next six months. But we thought, let's get a load of vegetables in and get them running. Um, uh, we've got the, the window. I've... We okay this uh, quote to get this new extension thing done in the bathroom. It's just basically it's a bathroom. But the other thing we need we, that we need to get was a window in the mail room because the old mail room is, uh, used to be the tape machine room in the, the control room. I should take a walk through there sometime. What time is it? It's 20 past. Um, I'll do that another week and I'll show you where, I'll take you into the control room and I'll show you where we, we, we do all the recording. In fact, I might do that next week. But the mail room used to be the machine room where the, the big 32-track Mitsubishi used to sit, the 24-track studio, and, uh, and it's dark. So um, we've decided, I've decided to knock a window through, so hopefully, fingers across the door, um, in the next week and a half, we might have a window in there, which will be perfect for doing starting the mail out on Velspelts, which means that like, you know, we can open the windows and someone can get some natural light in there rather than, you know being hidden away. Go away. Eileen Blackwood, fish, have you been on your bike? Yes, I was. I took a... Oh, that was another thing. <laughs> oh, boys. Um, that was another thing. I, I, took, I took a little bike ride down. It was the first time I'd been on a bike for about two years. And I went down to the end of the drive and I had to go down and see a septic tank because a tree root had gone through one of the pipes in the septic tank and the place was literally covered in shite. And um, so there was a digger there, and I want to say thank you very much to my neighbour Fraser for getting that together. And and it's a chocolate bit of you, Fraser. So uh, yeah, so they had to dig, dig a big hole and start the pipe out and stuff. So I mean, it's just been it's been one of those weeks. And in between, I did my first ever uh, interview for New Zealand, which was great. Well, his name was Mr McCabe. And uh, yeah, so it's been weird sitting here talking to New Zealand and doing more Dutch interviews. Some great. Uh, great coverage in IO pages uh, in, uh, in Benelux 
and there's a lot of other magazines but getting fantastic reviews i mean uh i'm really i'm really taken aback by you know how good these reviews are on Veltschmerz. and we just started i mean it's weird because you know, as i said before there's a sense of being dislocated from the whole experience you know we've made the album and you know, as I said before, when Feast of Consequences came out and there was a screw-up with the deluxe versions and we had to release uh, flat codes before before the, the, we mailed out the digitals, which kind of saved us and, and, and took the steam out of the situation. But um, it was the same then. But, you know, when Feast went out, it was all digital and, you know, people were responding to it and reacting to it. And, uh, you know, you're sitting here going like, you know, whoa, the album's out. And it, it's, it's a very surreal experience and it's in the same way as now it's like you know there are people phoning you up and they're going off oh, i've heard the album is brilliant it's how do you the album because they had it on a digital stream right? which is unavailable at the moment on its media but um but yeah so you kind of feel a bit detached and like i said you're doing these interviews and and then organizing bits and digital things and bits and pieces so that's been spinning around you know interviews were uh two or three German interviews this week and uh and some have been pretty good you know it's just um you know interesting for me to do and I like an interview that kind of provokes thought so rather than you just being on beam like I am here you know you kind of being instigated and you know taking down things and forced to examine something you know then what do you think about that etc etc and sometimes you can you can yeah, you know, because you're thinking and you're thinking off the off the ball, you can discover some kind of uh, some weird shit that you never really thought about before, and uh, or just a completely different perspective on you know why you did something or or whatever. So uh, so yes, yeah, so there's been a fair bunch of interviews you know kicking around, and um, and then I'm trying to think. There's other stuff that's been going on. My mind's going a blank. Um, uh, Oh yeah, that was what I said, the Brum lockdown. That was why the point was, was saying thank you to uh, Arthur earlier on. Birmingham, poof, heart goes out to you guys. I heard from uh, Steve Ansis, and Steve Ansis, you know, my big buddy and co-writer and stuff, he's down there. And I'd heard from him early on, early doors that this was, was, it was going down. And he's now in lockdown again. And, uh, and up here it's looking, you know, it's spun out. I got the new, um, there's an app now you can get. If you're in Scotland, right, if you're in Scotland and you've got an iPhone or, or whatever, you've got, you can get apps on your phone, right? Go onto your apps, right, and you'll find the ScotGov app, which is basically the trace app that the Scottish government's been putting together for a while, right? Um, download it and let's get armed and ready, right? I think it's going to be really important in the next month, two months, for this app to be adopted. I mean, in Eng I know down in England and, and Wales, I think England's got it in another two weeks or so. They're hoping to get it. I think the Scots worked with the Irish, and I think it was an app that, that came out through a joint development through Northern, Northern and uh, Southern Ireland. And uh, we kind of went in with that lot. And so there's a new app. So if you're in Scotland, get the app. It's basically a trace app. I know some people get really iffy about, like, you know, invasion of privacy and blah, blah, blah. 
I read through all the, the bits and pieces at, at the back of the app on the, the, the back info, and you know, I'm willing to go with it. It's, uh, you know, if you get a, a message, if somebody contracts, whatever, and if you, once you test it, you can input it in your phone. It's a, a clever wee piece of uh, machinery. But um, if you're in Scotland, go onto your apps, and it came up on, on my phone, it came up as the very first option. So just bang it, get it down, and you know, and it helps you find out, you know, if somebody near you has been infected, you know, you've, you can find out if you've got to isolate or not. And also if you become infected, God forbid, you know, that it tells all the people that you've been around. And uh, it's a clever wee thing. So take it on board. I was, and I, if you go on, on my own pages, on my Derek Dick pages, I'll put something up because um, I was kind of pissed off today. Um, this isn't being political about this. This has got to do with health issues, right? Nicola Sturgeon and the Scottish Government and the health advisors have been doing a really good job. Every day, you know, we have our live message from our First Minister and from the government, and we get an update on what's happening. The updates are informative, they're intelligent, you know, they're not political. They've all got to do with health issues. It's basically, what's happening in Glasgow, this is what's happening, you know, and you feel that you're being treated like an adult, you know, because you have somebody who's giving you advice with no angles, you know. And the BBC have decided to take uh, the First Minister and the, uh, the Scottish Parliament um, live broadcasts off the air. Um, seemingly, uh, it's going by the admission, uh, Lord George Fawkes uh, and some uh, Scottish Labour people up here decided that we're going to put a complaint in and get the BBC to change it. Um, I'm pissed off. Um, my mother sits through there and she watches Nicholas Sturgeon every day and she loves what Nicholas Sturgeon's doing. And I think what we've been doing up here is on the button. There's been a lot of mistakes made. There will be hands in the air, you know, when... Uh, you know, when investigations and, you know, and historically we'll start looking back, I'm sure there'll be pointy fingers. But at this moment in time, it's like Nicholas Sturgeon and the Scottish Government, I think, are doing a pretty good job. And I think for BBC to take it off the air, I think it just smacks of jealousy, basically. It's um, other political parties that are not liking the fact that Nicholas Sturgeon's, you know, on the television. Never mind what she's saying, which is nothing to do with SNP. It's got to do with Scottish government and health. It should be back up there and it should be available on BBC Scotland. That's my tuppence worth. If you agree with me, go to the change.org uh, website and just say what you think. Okay, that's all I mean. Like I said, you know, I, I don't like the fact that this pandemic gets politicised. You know, it's a case of information. The public need information. They need information readily. They need it updated. And that's what we've been getting every day on BBC Scotland, right? And now they've decided to take it off because stampy feet somewhere. Lorraine Devoy McCabe, hello from Dublin, Ireland. Graham Robertson, not seen that face in Sarajevo, 1996. Oh, I missed that one. Right, that rust spun up there. I missed your name. Paul Emery, protect Scotland app. You don't give any personal details at all. That's exactly it. So, Paul Emery, rock on. The protect Scotland app, you don't have to put any personal details. It just registers where you are and if you, you agree to be contacted and stuff. So, 
Lorraine Draper from Birmingham Fishing. Yes, from Tuesday lockdown again. But like you, I've got my war covered, yeah. But you know, I, I can, you know what gets me? It's like, why are we going? It's going to go in lockdown and it's going to be Tuesday. You know, if it's like, if it's so, if it's important as it is, why don't they just do lockdown now? Why do they have to wait for four days, right? And, you know, one of the things, my opinion, right? You know, you leave it for four days, People go on the randan. They go on the razzle-dazzle on a Friday and Saturday night because they know they're going to be going into lockdown. You know, so you're kind of... You're, you're, you're throwing peril in a fire in, in, in some way. You know, why can't they just do it now? Bam, stop it. Okay, lockdown. Everybody shut down. I mean, it's just interesting seeing, you know, the attitude on you know, some of the, 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 the BBC and SDV, um on the, you know, the man about the street thing when the, the, they're doing the, the, the photo, photo ops. You know, and, you know... Generally speaking, the public up here accept it, you know, and we're kind of going, yeah, whatever it takes to put a lid on this, let's do it, you know. And that's why I'm saying that's why I've signed up to the app. That's why Simona's signing up to the app. That's why, you know, we are kind of telling everybody up here it's useful because it's like if something's identified and we know who's got it, then bam, and you stop it spreading, you know. And the bottom line is, I ain't going anywhere. I'm still going to be dreaming about, you know, not finding my stage clothes and not finding my lyric sheets as I walk to a microphone in the middle of a stage to play into three shitting dugs. You know, I mean, live ain't going to happen. I mean, this is, again, I was watching, I mean, I watched the, the, the guy, the, the, the CEO of the Live Nation on the TV the other night. And, um, you know, it was nothing. It was no news because nobody can tell you. Nobody can say now when it's going to open. Nobody's got any idea, right? Nobody, you know, and, you know, as I say, the social distance and stuff, you know, it, you know, it needs to be adhered to. Everything needs to, you have to follow the goddamn rules. And like I said, I mean, I was talking, I talked to Gavin Griffiths, you know, uh, my drummer, uh, just a couple of days ago, you know, and, he, and he's dealing with it. But, you know, you know, like I said, I mean, the musicians, we all kind of talk to each other every, every couple of weeks and things. And, you know, we're just sitting here doing nothing until, you know, it's under control and the R rate in the UK has gone over one. And that means when it's gone over one, that means it's, it's exponentially infecting and it goes bop, 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 and we have to bring it down, right? So, anyway. Pauline Daisley, yes, I agree with you. Brian Treadgold, don't let the door hit her else on the way out. Oof, don't know what you're on about. Tim Sycamore, Robin Elliott, yeah, Mr Cummins and George folks, Labour, yeah, an unelected member of the House of Lords. They were the people that have cut down on, on the Scotch broadcast. And I just think it stinks, you know. Well, Lee Robinson, STV, should pick up a coronavirus updates, yeah. Yeah, Grant Marshall, absolutely. Leon Ten Van Hoof, will there be banners, pictures of Mark Wilkinson for in the background of PC? Have Highwood now, but love some more art. I think, I don't know if to talk with Mark about, we were talking, Mark and I were talking, uh, we talked a couple of times over the last week, because he had to put together an ad for the, the German Eclipse magazine, and we were taking the quotes, like the, you know, normally when I come to doing, you know, getting positive quotes on an album, you know, you're kind of struggling to find, you know, really great quotes. This time, it's like, bam, both sides of the page, fantastic reviews. And this is just the initial ones from Germany. We got it, I got picked up 
a nine out of ten of classic rock in Germany. I think classic rock in UK is uh, eight out of ten. So I mean, it's great. So I'm a happy bunny. Edith Dunnekamp, hello from Westmass. Yeah, David Schwartz, Bugs from Jersey. <laughs> Phil Gregory's, yeah, well, you go zzz on your own, Phil. Switch off. Well. Let's move on. I see some questions here. Robin Elliott with a turn, da da da. You're in Melrose. They'll love this one. Tommy Gallagher, I met you in London City Airport just before Childline concert a few years ago. And we chatted, then sat across from each other in aisle seats. I messaged my wife, Fish on Plane. She wrote back, I have your dinner ready, it's chicken. <laughs> boom, boom. Uh, Stephen Donald, I love the glass you were drinking out on the video for this party's over. Where can I buy some, please? Anna Leg, Nanny, Fish, the glass you kept in your hand and this party's over. Is it Keith Ness Crystal? No, it's not. This is it. Absolutely gorgeous. It's this is I think this is the red wine glass and it's done it's a thistle and it's um it's Edinburgh crystal. And um these particular this particular thing's long gone. Edinburgh crystal uh no longer exist. And these are really hard to come by. And I was given a, a set of wine glasses and red wine glasses way back in uh, 1987 when when I was I got married for the first time to Tara's mum and when she left in 2001 she'd taken a lot of stuff out of the house but I mean uh, there was um there was a lot of boxes kicking about in the, the what was called the boiler room and I found all this stuff and it had been it was literally I mean I know some of you probably done this but there were wedding presents from 1987 that had come up on the move in 1989 up to Scotland and they'd been kind of put in storage and nobody bothered opening up these boxes. And there was full of stuff. And this was absolutely stunning. And these glasses, I didn't... These glasses now are up to like 100 quid each. Plus, were really hard to find. And I tried to find some because I thought... I had a bunch of chipped ones. They got broken over the years. Parties, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, you know, wine glasses. And um, they were only brought for special occasions, and on special occasions we got Stephen. <laughs> so, and that was the glasses got broken. So anyway, I, I decided to try and, and find a way to replace some of these glasses, right? And it was like, prices were extortionate, if you could find them, right? And it was like one here, slightly chipped and stuff, but they're, they're really beautiful. And I wanted to use it on the, the This Party's Over video because it's like the... the there's the line and it grasped the thistle. And, uh, yeah, a drunk man stares at a thistle. Yeah. Not. Mm. Oh, it's a birthday. Gary Royner. I fish, I'm 62 years young today. This is probably from last week, isn't it? This is an old one. But anyway, Gary Royner, happy 62 again, seven days later. You're in a time warp, right? Um, Gary Flaxman. Will you look at reissue and return to childhood fishheads club again in future? Um, yeah, second-hand copies or downloads are too expensive. Man, I got a thing sent through from Amazon. 
Amazon uh, um, a couple of days ago and it was like, you may be interested in, you may be interested in fish. I am fish for God's sake. I am interested in me. Uh, <laughs> and they're selling the remasters that we sell. They're, they're up there on Amazon and they're uh, I think close to 40 quid. Uh, like, you know, for the remasters that we sell here through fishmusic.scot. Beware. It's a, I don't distribute my albums. I don't put them to retail anymore. You know, we run it as a small family business, right? That's just what we do. This is the only official place you can, you can buy it. Anything you find out there, especially on the remasters, those people are buying off the fishmusic.scot site and selling them on, which is why they're more expensive. Which is why on Amazon you see, you know, basic remasters, the, the remasters we've got, the Chocolate Frog remasters, you, they're selling for 40 quid. Beware. If you're looking, if, if you're looking for anything fishy, you know, get it, go to fishmusic.scot and see if it's there first. The, the Fish Heads Club DVD um, is still there, it's still available. What I do, um, the, the childhood one is something I'll look into uh, getting redone. But I mean, as I said, it was kind of nixed by the, the Farewell to Childhood thing. But yeah, I'll have a look at it and see what we can do. What I really wanted to do were the, the Fish Heads Club material because, you know, we had the, the, the DVD, but I mentioned before on a, on a previous kind of um, a, a previous fishing Friday. It's really strange with DVDs. People don't want DVDs, and yet if you put a double album out, a double CD out, and then you put the DVD on as a kind of bonus. People buy it. But if you do it the other way around, it's, I don't know. There's some mental shift goes on. But yeah, the Fishheads Club stuff. You know, at some point, I'd love to put together like a, a kind of big box set. Uh, well, not massive box set not something that's like screamingly expensive but i mean something that uh that basically takes in the fish heads club tour so we've got all the um the acoustic renditions because that fish heads club tour i loved it it was a savior for me mentally you know as a singer I, it took me into another area and i learned so much during that tour just working with, with foss patterson and frank and uh and what I'd like to do is find out, the, get the best versions. It's going to take a lot of sifting through because there are literally days of gigs, you know. You know, it's, it's not like hours of, of recordings, it's days of recordings. And, you know, to go through them and find out the best versions is, is kind of tough. But what I want to do is put that together with the Polska, um, uh, the Polska documentary that was put out, that was at the, that was in the Edinburgh Film Festival. Want to put that on it and throw the, the, the other bits and pieces and some extras and things into like a big Fish Heads Club kind of anthology. So, but at the moment, I'm too dug into Weltschmerz and, and everything else at the moment, so. Uh, uh, Who's this? Go away. Sorry, I'm trying to get the scroll button on this. So, yeah, Nick Hazelwood and Breathe, he put the glass down safely. Oh. Happy 50th, Corrine Wilkins, who's watching. That's from Kaylee Wilkins. Yeah. Rhea Rooks, Lady Little Lie, yeah, let's move on to this one. This glass is good for whiskey, Kristen Scheider. Any glass is good for whiskey if you've got a whiskey head. Well, 
Stephen Hatch, any more checks this week? You've got to be joking, man. That was the other thing. I had a two-hour two meeting with my accountant yesterday to just tell me, like, you know, how bad it was after losing all the, all the dates and stuff. So, uh, and paying for the album. So, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. So it's still, it's still, early get alcohol fry. Later it won't be. But yeah, I always, I, I, I'm, I'm rubbish with numbers. I was never good with numbers. It was like, I think, I guess I'm, I'm tap dancing over previous um, uh, Fisher Fridays. But yeah, it was like, numbers put me to sleep. I, I, you know, some, as soon as I go in an accountants meeting, I, 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 I literally, I, I can feel myself going like, you know, and um, words, I mean, if, if words were used in a monetary system, I'd, I'd be fabulously rich, but I'm not. <laughs> it's a case of like, but numbers is like, when I was at school, I was rubbish at math, you know. I remember having an argument with uh, Mr. Foley, I think it was at Dalkey's High, and uh, I was like, what do, what do I need this for? I think, I can't remember what it was. It was some, it was some complicated thing, right? And I went, why do I need this? And he said, well, if you're going to be designing aircraft, right, you're going to need to know that this kind of stuff. And I went, I've got no intention of building aircraft, right? I don't need to know this, right? And I think I was in fifth year, I got rubbish marks for maths. I think I, got, I, think I actually did manage, I got an A in my O-level, but I think my, my, my higher was a B or a C, could even a C actually. But I was rubbish at it. And then when I went in university college and then we had to do proper accountancy, right? It was the same thing. Up at the back of the room, glazed eyes like that, falling asleep in my parka. Suzanne Seidel, thank you very much. Owen Boyle. I wish that your first place 83 was recorded as best new year I had. It probably was. It's probably out there somewhere. Raymond Van Dyke, do DVDs not sell as a single medium? They don't see they don't sell anywhere near like albums. I don't know what it is. I think people just are locked in albums and you know when you put a DVD up, you know. But you know, the way we do it, I mean, as I said, the vigil and the internal XO remaster next year will have probably Blu-rays on them because we've got quite a lot of info. Some of the stuff from the vigiling, I've got loads of uh, um, digital movie footage that I shot way back on the tour. So there's a lot of that in the documentary. Uh, Gary Stafford, do you remember the record store tour you did in April 94 to promote Lady Let It Lie? Yes, I did. Right. That was, um, we ran around all these HMVs. That was really expensive. Because, um, you know, when you do these, these record store promos, you don't get paid. The HMV don't pay you, right? So you've got to pay the se your, your session guys. You know, so uh, I think it was, um, was, it, was it Frank Foz stuff? I can't remember. That's twigged my brain. But yeah, so you had to buy, to get on to, to, to do the HMVs, you had to buy a load of advertising. Then you had to give them, like, huge discounts on the albums that you were putting in. And and then you had to go and drive about the UK playing HMVs for nothing, getting um, kind of cheap sandwiches, and they couldn't even get albums. It was like you know, any chance to get a couple of free albums? Uh, well, oh, you have to give us some of yours first. Oh, yeah, we'll get. Just gave a bunch of suits albums and got some other stuff back. Really, but yeah, it was it was kind of. 
it wasn't a great experience that doing those HMV things. It was it was fun being with the guys, but I mean, you know, going out in record shops and they because we had to bring our own PA as well, which was kind of like you know. Uh, Sean Mitchell, what's the bottom line, big man? Da -da -da -da. Um, John Barber, new music. Got perform TLA in Philadelphia, USA. The TLA, that's a good gig. That was the gig where I went up with the American Express card, and when I forgot my laminates backstage that I told you a couple of weeks back, that was it was the TLA in Philadelphia. When I went up, you know, where's your laminate, man? So I'm the singer. What's your fish? American Express. On you go, sir. Simon Farquhar, I just, just as we moved to Farquhar Corner, I had exactly the same argument with the teacher about simultaneous equations. Yeah, see, Simon, that's why you're a writer and I'm a writer. We're just not meant trigonometry. That was what it was. Couldn't even remember the name of it, never mind what you do with it. Right. Learned it, but never used it. Fill out, well, see, I knew that. There was no point in filling my head with that. Uh, oh, I missed out. Brian Shanklin, so no good in Mr. Wynn's menstruation lectures. Brian Shanklin, menstruation, I've completely forgot about that word. It's got to do with trees, folks. And um, Mr. Wynn, yeah, he was my, he, he taught me, um, he taught me accounts at, uh, at Newton Ray College. Nice guy. Uh, Susie Bond, hiya, how you doing? Jono's mummy, yeah, I know. Uh, Andy Lyon, I'm just scraped through maths. Did you have a did you have all levels in Scotland? Robert Olson, yes, we did have all levels. I did really well at all levels. But then as I started moving to hires, then I discovered music and then my mind wandered badly. Alfred Fish, you found today the Fish BBC session. Yeah, that the BBC tapes. Yeah, the BBC. That's another thing with the BBC. Um interestingly enough, as um when you do recordings as, as a band, or like, well, I can speak specifically of myself and, and Marillion, it was um, when you actually do a, a, a recording for, like a live recording, like for example, the Fish shows on the Vigil Tour were done at Nottingham Royal, Royal Court, or Royal Theatre, whatever it is, and um, great shows. And, you know, we do the show, we don't get paid for it, and we also don't own the copyright at all, so the BBC own the copyright. And for the vigil remasters, I thought I'd go back and, and see if I could get some of the, the original multi-track BBC sessions um, rather than, you know, using the stereo stuff that I've got. And it, the, the BBC, now, it was, we had to deal with Getty. We had to deal with um, uh, Getty to get the, the licences. And I ended up going back and forward, back and forward, wanting ridiculous amounts of money for it to, to, to do it. And that was one of the reasons why, you know, the, the BBC live sessions that we did was kind of pretty limited because it was like the percentages that they took for the licence were, were pretty hefty. And it, it was, and as I said, when I tried to licence the material back from the Beeb, you know, I've always find it, it's kind of strange. Yeah, they've gone to the expense of um, recording it and they've, they've, you know, they've got a mobile studio out there. But you know, when I mean, you don't get paid for the performance and you lose the performance and they've got the rights to the performance, it's kinda you know. But it gets it's the copyright argument. That's something for another programme. I mean I find, you know, some some of the copyright issues. I mean, uh 
they're hard to they're hard to take sometimes. The fact that like you know, you know, most bands, bands in the older contracts, and I know there are other musicians that are sitting there going nodding their heads, going like, yep, yep. So like you know, when you sign a contract, <clears throat> you know, depending on the contract you've made, but you know, most of the contracts, when you're not in a strong position or young band, it's like you record the album and you pay for the album and it comes out your royalties and the record company own it. And uh, it's, um, it's something I learned a long time ago, um, way back in the nights when I, once I left EMI, it was like I licensed all my material. So I owned the copyright, I owned the copyright of every single solo album that, that's, that's out there, apart from Vigil. Vigil's the only one. And, Believe it or not, we're still waiting to sign off on the dotted line, which I'm really hoping is going to be incredibly soon. It's all been agreed, but we're still waiting for that physical sign-off. But I mean, uh, but yeah, the copyright thing, is, it's always kind of stuck in my craw, but the fact that, you know, the, the band pay for the recordings, but they don't own them, you know? So, uh, and remember, I'm not just sitting here as, as a better musician. I've, I've worked both ends of this, you know? And... Tam White, uh, who was a, a very a great blues artist and a Scottish blues artist. He had a fantastic voice. He was a lovely man. And we recorded an album on Dick Brothers uh, here for him and spent a, a fair bit of money putting it together. James Cassidy um, produced it. And um, Tam sadly died quite a few years ago. And before he died... I absolutely got I got in contact, I said, you can have the album back. Don't want anything for it, just take the album, you know, just have it. We don't want the copyright, it's like yours. Do what you can with it, because we couldn't do anything with it. And uh, and I felt, you know, it was karma for me. And it was, uh, and, you know, and Tam's widow's still got the rights to that album, which is kind of cool. Right. Matt Hawkins, sitting here in hospital with COVID, having oxygen forced in my lungs. Next stop, ITU. Don't be stupid, guys. Wow, man. Out to you. And there we are. You know, it's like this isn't this mystical thing that's like, you know, made up, uh, you know, some sort of conspiracy theory. You know, it is taking people out there. And it was interesting. I was watching a program uh, last night and they were, they were talking about sepsis because yesterday was sepsis day. And they were talking about, the, you know, the, the, some of the similarities that, you know, post COVID. There's a kind of sepsis kind of situation where you have um, flare-ups of the immune system where your immune system attacks your body, which is what happens in sepsis. That's what takes you out. And that your immune system detects all these nasty bits and pieces all over your body and decides to fight them. And it basically attacks your own body. And uh, so, yeah. Bruno Cavalieri, Greens was the Fish. Petri Valtoni, remember the fat finish guy. Yes, I remember you, Petri. I remember you getting very drunk with the fairy tale creature one night on a ferry. Uh. Eating Ruben, no problem. Andrew Gash, Newton Rig has just closed. Wow. Newton Rig was the college that I went to in Penrith. It was, a, it was an agriculture and forestry college. And it's just closed, that's sad. It was, uh, I had some interesting times down there. Liam Molyneux, Skyfish, so interested in the half-speed vinyl version of Veldschmerz. Yeah, the half-speed is very different. Right. 
Oh. We should move on. We should. Farquhar Corner. Um. How do I start with this? The song Romy was dedicated to Andy Field. Uh, Andy died of cancer way back in the early 90s. On the Davies funeral, I was in Kenya with my then wife Tammy. And I couldn't get back. And I'd, 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 I'd seen him before I left, before I went out. Kenya was the first holiday we'd had since, since Tara was born, since her daughter Tara was born. And I knew he was, he was poorly, I knew he was bad, and drove down to see him, and I knew I was kind of saying goodbye. And uh, when we were out, out there, I, we'd, we'd actually went on safari, and I went, this is kind of strange, I just remember this one. We went on safari, and I remember where we were, because, we went so far and came back to the hotel in uh, uh, Mombasa and there was messages for us and it was please phone home immediately and of course I immediately thought it was my parents and I got phoned up and they said Andy's dead and he died like about three days before and I worked out and I was at Kilimanjaro and we were, up, we were staying in a, in a kind of safari lodge and pretty close to the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro and Kilimanjaro had a couple of kind of things going for me. I mean, my dad was in, um, my dad did national service in, in Kenya or Tanganyika, as it was then called. He was kind of Tanzania vibe, but he was in Kenya. And my dad tried to climb Kilimanjaro a couple of times, very drunk, and didn't get very far. And they were got very cold because they weren't wearing the correct equipment and uniforms and things. And, uh, but my dad used to drink Tusker beer and I used to be, I used to get all these photographs about Kilimanjaro and pictures of crocodiles and stuff and, you know, when he was, when he was in the army. So Kilimanjaro always meant something. And when I heard that Andy died, Andy had actually died when we were at Kilimanjaro. And I remember going out that night and, 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 and looking at the, the, the mountain and I think I, I kind of realised it was one of, you know, it happens in your life, but you get those points, you get the touch. You know, and it's, it's just, you go, some, there's been a ripple in, there's been a ripple in our world, you know. And, um, and Kilimanjaro was why on the Suits album, when it goes on about the Skirts of Angels, and it was, uh, the Skirts of Angels was a kind of a reference to the clouds around um, Kilimanjaro. And I remember taking a note of it at the time. But Andy was a real road warrior. And I was introduced to Andy um, through John Arneson brought Andy in, or the Marilly manager brought Andy in. And Andy was, like I said, he was a, he was a seasoned warrior. And, um, you know, Paul Lewis was a tour manager, and Andy was kind of stage manager and, and dealt with a lot of the production end of the, the, the stuff. And we became very good friends. And I loved Andy dearly. He was great. And he was a real mentor to me. And... Um, he was, um, he taught me a lot of things. He, he taught me a lot of things. He taught me a lot of things not to do. And I think I've said before, he was the guy that had no qualms about telling me if I was a dickhead, he would tell me I was a dickhead. 
and I respected Andy completely. And um, when I left Marillion, um, Andy came with me, which I was really pleased about. And it was, um, Andy had just all this, this, this classic kind of roadie history, all this tour history behind him. He worked with, um, he worked with Glenn Hughes on a band called Trapeze and, it, and uh, it did a lot of work in America. Trapeze was kind of like, it was a band that kind of went, it didn't do what it said on the tin. You know, it was supposed to be something that, that it happened in the States to some degree and it's become a kind of, it's a kind of a cult band. But I mean, he was out there with, with, with Glenn Hughes and he was in America and it was um, Temptationville, Temptation Alley. It was kind of, he did a lot of stuff out there, Andy did, and he taught us a lot about stuff that he did out there. And, uh, you know, we were, um, we, we walked down satanic footpaths together sometimes. And, um, but he was like the first real kind of like grounded roadie. And I, I used to listen to all these stories and he taught me about, he introduced me to Ry Kuda. He introduced me to uh, David Hinckley and uh, also Jackson Brown. And it was Jackson Brown, the song, uh, The Road, um, The Loadout. Um, the Loadout is one of my favourite all-time songs. And uh, I remember listening to The Loadout in the back of a tour bus and it must have been about 1984, end of 1984 or so. And we were in, we were up in the Northwest and we were driving back to, we were driving back to Aylesbury, I think it was. And the gigs were done and I was in the top lounge of the bus and the loadout came on. And I cried my eyes out. You know, I was teenied, tired, emotional. You know, I was run down off the tour. I was going back. And at that time, you know, I wasn't going back to anybody. You know, I, I, you know, I lived on my own. And, um, and I think it just hit me. It was suddenly I was getting taken off the road. And it, you know, there's a certain thing that happens, you know, you know when, you're, when you're around a bunch of guys, like musicians and crew and drivers and merchandisers, and you're in your little circus, you know, you become very close, you rely on each other, you um, you feed off each other, you feed each other, you know, you beg, borrow and steal for each other. And, you know, it was one of the reasons why, you know, when we've, we've actually um, got involved with the army, where I, you see so many similarities. I mean, obviously we don't have guns and shoot people, right? And we're not in any extreme danger most of the time. And it's, uh, but it's that sense of camaraderie and reliance on the unit that occurs. And I'm, I'm, it happens in lots of other occupations, you know, you know. Um, and uh, and I always really miss it when I leave it. You know, when you when when the circus when the, when the tent is struck and the circus goes home. I hate it. I find it, and I find it really difficult. You know, if, if I'm on the big tours, you know, back in the old days, on the really big tours, 
It used to take me like two weeks, three weeks to 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 come down. There's a classic story about um, uh, a, a roadie from an unnamed band, and it was back in the seventies, early eighties, right? And what he did was he stole. They were all, in America, you were always playing, it was always Holiday Inns. I mean, it was like Holiday Bins. I mean, I've used the Holiday Inn in so many lyrics and things because of, of that very fact that the Holiday Inn was the hotel of choice. It was cheap. They were on the roads. You know, they're easy to get off the freeways, blah, blah, blah. But this roadie actually stole, like, bit by bit, an entire, an entire Holiday Inn room. Go away. And, um... And, it, you know, everything from, like, the soap dispensers to the shower curtain to the shower... To, and when he came back to his house, right, he actually turned one of the rooms in his house into a complete holiday in room. Even with a lock on the door. He even had the lock on the door with the holiday in, the number in his room, in, his, in this council house somewhere. And I think he was in Wales or something. And anyway, that was kind of like the weirdest. And he did that. Because it's like he'd been living in, uh, and for like months on end in holiday inns, and he just he used that to kind of get himself back together. So he went into that room in his holiday inn room next to his wife's bedroom, so he could acclimatise and you know decompress. But yeah, I mean you know, but I mean like I said, there's a, there's a real kind of uh, camaraderie and a sense of brotherhood that comes out, and you know, and I, I wanted to write a song, and I, the loadout by Jackson Brown is is one of. It is probably the greatest song that's one of the greatest songs that's ever been written about kind of band, crew, and that relationship, and the relationship with the audience as well. And just, it's a road song. And I always wanted to write a road song. I wanted to write about, you know, my thing, right? And, um, and from my perspective. And I kind of jumped into this, right? And... Round about 19, it must have been about 1993, about the same time, I went with my dad to go and see an old relative of ours in, in Falkirk that I, I hardly knew him. And it was kind of like it was a part of our family that had been kind of, my, my family kind of moved through the Falkirk and Stirling area and they were kind of like part of the family that had been kind of left behind. They'd formed roots down there. And there was great stories. I mean, I remember going across and, and, and talking to the, the, the guys and stuff. And, um, and my dad, to, to do a backtrack here, when I left forestry, to, when I told my dad, I'm going to be a singer in a rock band, my dad went absolutely mental, mental. My mum backed him up and stuff. I mean, we had a huge argument. I mean, it was a massive, massive argument. I and mean, it, was, it was close to being like, you know, the, the split of all time. And my mum kind of got in between it all. And she said, you know, he's got to go away and do it. So, and my dad very reluctantly agreed. And he said, uh, I want you to promise me one thing, son. Don't, come, don't get a tattoo and don't come back with an earring. That was the two things. <laughs> Came back two months later with an earring with a fish in it, and then you know, years later, you know, Dad, I got this. <laughs> but that that was a long time after. I wasn't going to risk that both at the same time. I would have been headless. But yeah, so my dad was, and he, my dad's biggest argument at the time was, you know, you don't play an instrument, right? 
There's nobody else in the family ever done music. Nobody's been on the stage. You know, what makes you so special? Why should you go in? You know, how come you've decided that, like, you know, it's like, you know, the, the, the stage is for you, young man, right? And it was always, it was kind of driven in. But my dad acquiesced and, you know, when he saw us for the first time in, in, in 1982, he saw it and, of course, things happened on and, and my career is, my career is, right? But... My dad's big thing at the time was nobody in the family's ever done it. And we got went through the Falker to see this old relative, right? And one of the first things he said, right, to my dad was, I'm really glad that the family's gone back to what it was supposed to be doing, right? And my dad went, what? He said, well, before your father took, him, took it out of it, he said, the family used to be in the music, in the music business. Right, and it was the music hall business, right? And I didn't really know this. And it turns out that my dad's grandfather and his brother, right? Um, they worked as one of them was a magician, and the other one was a singer. And they worked the music halls in Scotland, right? <laughs> I would hear that. And I always wondered because when I was a kid, there was a book up in the attic, in the attic, in, in Landfine Glebe Street, which was was the the house we lived in a long time ago. My sister and I lived up in these two rooms in the attic because my granddad used to live with us and stuff. Anyway, that's another story. But in the attic which was my little room where I used to sit and listen to my music when I was a teenager and when I was younger, I had the radio and stuff. And I always remember there was, I had, there was a bunch of books up there that my dad had, and one of them was, it was the Magician's Handbook, which I've still got somewhere in there, right? And it was all these magic tricks. And seemingly it belonged to my, my, my great-grandfather. And uh, the, my dad told me, and I, I need to dig all this information out, I've got some amazing footage. I've actually interviewed my mum and dad over a period of about three, four weeks. And I had to get into all this information, you know, and, and find out because eventually I was going to be writing the autobiography and I wanted to find out who Auntie so-and-so was and what this relationship was to da-da-da. And I've got it all in all, all these, these, these... I'm really lucky to have it. I filmed it a long time ago. And um, as I said, you know, my, my dad said, yeah, well, the, the magic book was his, his granddad's book. And it was like, the legend was that my great-grandfather was the first person in Scotland to ever make a rabbit disappear on stage, right? And uh, and it was from a cage, he had it in a cage, and he made it disappear. He was the first person to ever do it. But I'd never even heard about that. So seemingly, in my DNA, I've got the DNA of a magician and, and a singer that's been kind of come down and it's erupted through me through this kind of the Dalkeith connection. And then on top of that, there's my, my, my granddad, my, da, my dad's father, right? So it's my dad's grandfather and my dad's, my dad's father had all these bus, buses and he was going to run all this bus company stuff. So, like, it's all there. The whole thing's there. Bus companies... Thanks, Dad. Bus companies, magicians, singers, music hall, the whole bit. It's all it's been there and it's, it's like it's just been waiting for all the... It's like a key turning. So, like, all the latches all turned at one time. And bam! The passant, the fish. And that's kind of, I think this is where it all comes to. So, back in the day, right, when my, my great-grandfather and his brother were doing the musicals, they were not top of the bill, right? And the thing was that when people went out in the afternoon, so the shows would start 
quite early on in the afternoon. You know, it wasn't like an evening show, but the shows would start two o'clock because there was lots of unemployed people and there was lots of people that would buy very, very cheap tickets and they might be just be wanting a bit of warmth and go in a theatre, right? which I have done myself on occasion. And, um, and the thing was that the acts that went on in the afternoon, because they were going on to people that were, they were on the cheap drink, they were loud, they were noisy, they were all in the, the balcony. Because you, you had your grand circle, which was all for the rich punters. You had your stalls and then the balcony. And the balcony was, the, you know, the upper balcony was the, the, the really cheap seats. And the acts that went on in the afternoon, right, in front of this sozzled crowd, right, um, they were always going to get a really hard time. You know, I mean, it was, it was then the notorious slots, right? And the acts that went on to play at, in those spots to the kind of zoo were called Raw Meat. And that was the idea behind the song title, which is Raw Meat for the Balcony, right? And it's all about all the acts, the little known acts that you never really hear about, that are passionate about doing what they want to do. They just want to try and claw their way up the bill. They want to get their way up that poster, as we all did, as I wanted to do back in 1982, 83. And, you know, and you keep on doing it and you keep on finding it because that's, you know, there is an element of the stage that you're always addicted to, you know, that performance, the, the, the vibe, the energies, you know. Yes, I'm still retiring, but, you know, I will always miss it. And Raw Meat was written at a time in 93, 94, when I was questioning kind of, you know, where I was at, but I still had to fight, you know. I wanted to make it happen, you know. It was a really hard time. I mean, you know, I'd come out a big band. I'd had a big first album. I'd been thumped by EMI legally. Uh, I'd gone to Polydor and gone through the blender at Polydor. And I was questioning myself, you know, like whether I was able to do it, you know. And, you know, is, is, this, a, is this a job? Is this something I still really want to do? And, you know, and... The fight was still in me. And so, you know, round about, you know, 1993, I decided to write the song. And I wanted to write a song about kind of the circus. Right? And it was an homage. And I wanted to write it for Randy. And there's, there's a, a couple of references within the lyric that are specific references to Andy, it's just a little side hit, you know, to him, just a nod. And it always was uh, Andy Field's song. And when we recorded it, it was, uh, it was a very, very poignant time, and very emotional. And, you know, perhaps, you know, anyway, play the song. That's the best way. This is from the Suits album. This is from the remaster uh, that Callum Mal Malcolm has remastered, so it's, it springs. And this is from Andy Field, and this is from me.
Raw meat from the Suit Master. This is, uh, there's a couple of other versions of raw meat in here. There's a great, um, there's one from the acoustic thing as well, which is quite stunning. Do I play that? Hmm. Yeah. It kind of, I don't know, it's a year back, and it'd be, oh, I'll get emotional with that, when you don't want to hear that back, because I'm, I'm tapped into that time. And uh, we, we wanted to use a really big choir at the end. I mean, I just heard it, it's been a massive song. And we were desperately trying to find gospel choirs in Edinburgh. And it was the Tabernacle Choir uh, came down here, and there was, I think there was about 10 of them came in, and they, they sung here in this very room. In this very room, and uh, and James recorded it all, and it was so stunning, and it was uh, it's highly emotional. I think you know I listen back to now. Sometimes I feel I might have turned the should have turned the dial back a bit, but it was then, and it was and it was really heartfelt, and uh, and you know that's how I felt at the time. I mean, I was really. You know, heading out on my own with my own label and, you know, taking all this on board. I mean, it was a massive challenge. I mean, going from the safety and the sanctuary and the kind of the relative cotton wool of, of a kind of major label, you know, to being out there on your own and, you know, fighting your own corner completely was a whole new, different game entirely. And raw meat was was that kind of it was a, it was just a statement of defiance, like you know, you know a lot. Of, I mean, I'll, I'd, you'll remember a lot of people had written me off at that time as well because it was, um, you know, because I'd, you know I'd come out of Marillion and people had gone like, "What's this idiot doing?" and blah blah blah. Then I had all the drink and drug shit that was coming at me, which was mostly ludicrous. And then I had the argument, big legal argument with the AMI, I had the big legal argument with Marillion, and then I had the fallout with Polydor, and I was completely persona non grata in the music industry. I was basically just seen as being loudmouth jock, you know, loudmouth drunk jock, who's like just throwing it all away. And um, I didn't feel like that at all. And... Uh, and like I said, it was just defiance against, you know, the, the music industry as it stood. And that was what set me up with what has now become the Chocolate Frog Record Company Limited. I mean, the Dick Brothers label went on for so long, but then it was just financially just impossible to support anymore. And, and everything went tumble down, uh, which is another song. Yeah. But that's kind of, um, yeah... Kevin Levy rocking guitar. Yeah, it was Frank Usher, uh, you know, some of his best. I mean, Frank was played out his skin on that album. It was it was quite astounding. Uh, um, Joe Wallace. Yeah, forgotten what a brilliant track it was. That's where I mean, this is what I'm loving doing these. When I'm actually playing some the tracks that you pick out, right, and, and playing them again. I mean, I had wrong, I, I listen to them in the afternoon nowadays because it's like so I don't get thrown out and I know I've got it set up right. So I do rehearse. <laughs> I do rehearse, I do rehearse, but um, but yeah, it was uh, it was it was an emotional time, and you know that's a, definitely a song that you know will be on the farewell tour. Somebody asked me about that, uh, um, about Erna, you know, but yeah, yeah, the farewell tour. I, I talked to my German agent, 
I got a thing from I got a thing from a, a festival which remains nameless, and you know, and it was like it's supposed to be in July. It was supposed to be last year. It's moved to July, and I got a message saying, "Are you still available for July? If it's not going to happen in July, it's going to happen in September. If it doesn't happen in September, it happens in 2022." And I'm going, "How am I supposed to deal with this?" You know, for me to bring everybody together and put them in rehearsals and da and I've, I've told you this before. It's like, you know, you're looking at 10K, 10,000 quid, just to bring that all together and pay wages to get the band rehearsed and get everything to you sort it out. You know, it, it's, it's not a, a cheap endeavour by any stretch of the imagination. And yeah, I'm supposed to do that and tell the guys, you know, well, we're going to rehearse, but I don't know what for. We don't know whether the dates are going to happen or not. And as I said, it's like, what well, might happen July, might happen September. I can't work to that, you know? As I said, I mean, I watched the CEO of a live nation on it. I've been watching, uh, you know, I watched, what's his name? The, one, the guy that Roger Waters mentioned in one of his songs, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, you know, I watched him talking about theatres and, you know, getting all stampy feety about it all, you know. And I've got friends out there that have been forced to redo their contracts, you know, uh, uh, working with big London theatres that have been told that, like, you know, they're going to have to, like, sign off on overtime and stuff. It's like, no, on. But I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Romy seems particularly poignant now because, you know, the fact, you know, give that to all the musicians and all that, everybody else who's out there from the music business that's sitting there going like, you know, what are we doing now? You know, we're just waiting. But I mean, uh, as I said, it's, it's, it's impossible to, to roll it. So, so it, make, it makes Raw Meat just a little bit more special, you know, playing it tonight. But I mean, as I said, I mean, I talked to my agent and... You know, everybody's going, well, it might, it might, it might, it might. So we just have to wait and see what happens. Pigeon. Ian McCauley. Fran Terones. Yoka. Marius Polchask. Melanie Young. Always remember seeing the new year at the Playhouse. Kilts, bagpipes and very, very happy fans. Yeah, that was That was cool. That was, part, that was part of the thing I played the last time. It's half part. Judith Joris, Paul Emery, Goosebumps Material, Axel Koenig, uh Judith Jones from Germany, Benedetta Fan Fanny Tiamo Fish, Derek Hart, Biatatsa, full from Poland. Talking about Poland, I don't know, I've not heard from uh, Piotr Kaszkowski for a while and I don't know what's happened with Troika. Uh, if you're out there and you're Polish, um, let me know. Send me a, a PM or something. Uh, Pauline Daisley. Raymond Van Dyck, do you ever get tired of when people ask about the Marillion thing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, like I said, I chose I chose my own route, and I'm I'm glad I did. I mean, I, as, as I said before, you know, if I wasn't, you know, here now and and dealing with my career and my business the way I, you know, we deal with it here, just with Simone and I, we'd be in trouble. You know, I mean, you know, we don't have a market department, we don't have an A and R department, we don't have a promotions department, or even our international department is Simone from Germany. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, thankfully, and it's thanks to you guys. I mean, you know, it's been great 
the fact that like you know we're playing the tracks on a Friday and then you see a little bump in in, in the titles like uh, when I played Plague of Ghosts I think there was about thirty or forty albums went out in the days following it which is great because people are discovering you know what I do a lot of people you know lost me in the the nineties you know because. I just wasn't, you know, in their faces like I was when I was with a major label. It's one of the problems of being an independent, you know, you know, paying for that promotion, which is, as I said, I've worked a label and I've been the artist and I see both sides, you know. And um, and sometimes you have to make a lot of compromises as, a, as an independent. And uh, and you've got to hope, I mean, as I kind of hope with Elschmerz, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm buying a lot of ads, you know, bought quite a few ads in Germany last week and there's going to be more getting bought in the, in the next months. But I mean, you kind of, rather than working the fireworks, bam, this is released, this is the album, you're looking for slow burns. So what you hope is that when the album comes out, when you know when you hear the album, and if you play it to a mate, you know, it's word of mouth. That's why Marillion happened. You know, it wasn't just the Tommy Van sessions. It wasn't just, you know, the adverts that, 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 uh, that EMI were buying. Because when you and I were buying all the adverts, they were basically consolidating a lot of things, but a lot of fans that were already out there, and and it was word of mouth. And I think word of mouth going from people when somebody goes, "This I've heard this is great. Why don't you listen to this?" It's the most honest way for an album to happen. And I think Feldschmerz is going to happen like that. I think once it comes out, once you hear it in its entirety, not just on up a phone from the Kefs, but I mean. When you hear it, you know, on your own systems, you are going to be blown away. And that ain't a salesman's pitch. I mean, and that's where the album's going to go. And it's honest, you know, and I, th I think it's good, honest promo. And I like it like that, you know. Uh, James Moody, thank you, Judith. Jonas, hello, XO. Uh, Simple Minds question asked last week. Dave Hardy. Yeah, totally Dave. Being very hard being a musician at the Mo. Um, Stefan Brillinghoff. Memories when you first used Facebook on the stage and all the other stage gimmicks. Was it already at the first gig, March the 14th, Red Lion Pub, Bicester? On March the 14th, at the Red Lion Pub in Bicester, this young fish actually used nail varnish on his face instead of face paint. I used whatever came at hand and I used nail varnish. Unbelievable. I can't remember what else it was, but it was crap. Face was minging, it was stinging hell, right? And it wasn't until I went into the, the, into the Friar Square and uh, the, the Friar Shopping Centre in Aylesbury, the downstairs in the market, there was a little theatrical place right in the corner. And that's where I bought my first Leichner makeup, which was the, 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 the paint sticks that, that became you know, the ones that I used. And I used to spend, you know, back then, when I had no money, it was like, it was like, you know, 14, 15 quid to get a set of sticks, you know, and you were using them for the gigs and things, you know. And then, oh, could do it now, not with this beard. Because I always remember, when every time the beard grew, every time the, 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 the face here came, it used to get manky. And it was like, it was, I remember, you know, you know, my mum telling me about my, my granddad and stuff. My grand, when my granddad worked in the pits and stuff, it's like, you know, when they came back, when, they, you know, when all the miners, like when, when, when they came back and they went into their beds at night, no matter how much they washed down at the pit head, no matter how much they scrubbed in carbolic soap, 
to get rid of the rat piss and everything else that they, 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 they came in contact with, you know, down below. It was like, and the muck was always in them. And even though they washed in hot water and they went back home, the sheets, the bed sheets would always be black, right? Because the, the, the dust just went right into every pore of their body. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lee Brown, hello from Gateshead. Have you told the history behind Clockwork Sideways? Sergio Gatasbara. No. I'll put that song up for, for next week for a wee, wee trial and things, you know? I'll go and dip into another couple of questions. Uh... Paul Maskell, how to explain? You know how some long-term artists sometimes end up making it career mishaps by trying to stay contemporary? Like when 60s and early 70s artists suddenly included rap in their 80s output. Listening to your solo back catalogue, it seems that you avoided that trap. Was there a conscious effort not to chase the fads and friends of the day? I wouldn't say it was conscious. I just realised the futility of it all. It was... Uh, I remember the story, that, I mean, James Cassidy, who worked with um, Jeff Wayne on the Spartacus album. And, um, you know, and when when Jeff started working on the Spartacus, when, when Jeff and, and, and James were working on the Spartacus album, they were trying to make it very contemporary. But they were years in the making. It was it took three years or something to put this album together. And the problem was that all the, the, the little in-sounds that happened, right, and all the, the kind of contemporary stuff that they were putting on to make it contemporary, by the time they got to finishing the album, it was all out of date. And I think that's the problem. You know, when you, if you try, I think as, a, as, as an artist, if you try and, and, and copy fads and, and, and go with fads, you're lost because it's already been done and you're already following the pack, you know? And um, there's very few artists that I think managed to hold that together. Bowie did. David Bowie managed to kind of ride it, but then again, he was plugged into what was happening all the time. And I think, you know, he did instigate it, but because he was David Bowie, although things were happening underground, when he popped out, it was brand new. You know, the, some of the U2 stuff, I mean, I, I really, I used to really like U2 back in Joshua Tree days, but, you know, when I went into the zoo album and stuff, I, I lost them because it was like, it was all very modern and it didn't feel right. For, for, in my opinion, only my opinion, right? But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, the, you know, obviously when Brian Adams came out with a certain drum sound and everybody copied that drum sound and everybody copied this, everybody copied that, you know, you know, you, it's, it's, it's fool's gold, you know, because, as I said, you're, you're already behind the pack, you know, you should be trying to find out other ways to do things. And I've, I've never... I mean, for God's sake, I was in a progressive rock band, you know? Christ... How unfashionable could you possibly get being a progressive rock band in the 80s? Right. Um, uh. Martin Snape, do you prefer play standing or sitting gigs? I think it depends on the environment. Um, I think it depends on the set list. I mean, the Fishheads Club tour, it worked great and... Uh, it worked great in, in seated theatres, but it also worked brilliantly in, in, in standing gigs. Um, you know, when we went to Bosnia and we, we took, you know, that set out, it was all, um, it was virtually all seating and the object was to get everybody standing at the end, which we always managed to do. 
but yeah, I mean, the scene and standing, I think it depends on the vibe. It depends on, it depends on the, you know, it depends on, like I said, the set list and, and the mood that, that you, you're getting across the set list, you know. But I mean, you know, it's like, you know, if you're playing a rock set and then, you know, it's only people stand up in a seated venue. You know, I think the, the one thing I really hate is when you're playing a seated venue and people want to stand and then you've got like, you know, security going like, you know, your job's worth, sit down, mate, sit down, we'll throw you out. I hate that. That's rubbish. Oh. But then again, you know, it's people standing up in front of people that sitting. Oh, what sort of box has been opened here? Some ch box of trickery. Oh. Arguing with myself. Keith Tracy, thank you very much. Paul Gaffer, if you get a request from Fish Live, careful, it's a scam. Somebody actually told me about this. There was uh, on one of the previous Fish and Fridays. Somebody busted into it and like you know got up to shenanigans. Uh, be careful what you open. Uh, Richard Dicky Taylor, nice full page ad in Classic Rock. Yes, we bought a page in Classic Rock. Got a great review as well, which is great. Nigel Oliver, Red eighty four, never turned back since. Simon Cartwright, what's happening with your diving? Diving, I've gave gave, gave up on. It was just a few days ago. There was a um, there was a thing. The lifeboat crew had picked up three divers hanging on a lobster pot boy uh, down in um, what was it uh, Green End Gully down in. I used to dive with Rab, and uh, yeah, I mean I was was going to be a statistic. You know, you know, as I said before, it was like I had to give it up. I've still got a load of gear here. If anybody's looking for Santo Santo dive computers and stuff. Got a couple of them kicking about, and I need to get, I need to get the garage emptied. So uh, I've got a very, very big um, uh, dry suit. It's a huge. It's a, it's a, a, The dry suit is the one you have to wear when you dive in the waters here. You, you can wear a wetsuit, which you normally wear for like you know if you're diving in Cuba or Seychelles or whatever, where the water goes through the, the, the suit. You know, the dry suit excludes the water. Uh, and it's a completely different type of diving. You have to learn these different types of buoyancy and different manoeuvres to get yourself out of trouble and things like that. And I, I took my, dice, my my dry suit ticket. I already had my wetsuit ticket from uh, uh, when I went down to Beckwe in 1988. And I took my, my, my dry suit ticket, my, 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 ticket my, my diving ticket to dive in, in the, the North Sea. I did that in, in 2010, and I was very proud to get it at the age I was. You know. But diving now, no. I'm, like I said, I'm a statistic. You know, waiting to happen. You know. I can't even walk out of the garden without falling over steps, for God's sake. You know. Andrew Melbourne, see what you meant the other week when I drove through Leith and saw the, the founds of the old warehouses? Yeah, it's weird. I hate it when they knock down buildings, you know. And I'm, I'm a, I've got... I don't know why I've got a great respect for buildings. I see photographs of old Haddington, right? And it was an absolutely sparkling place, a beautiful place. And I know Del Hanlon, sometimes you, from uh, Dalkeith, you watch this. Dalkeith, the centre of Dalkeith was beautiful. And it was like, you know, and it, it is a running joke in, this, in, in the UK as a whole. that You know, sometimes planning, you know, the, 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 the kind of planning committees and, you know, that the planners have done more damage to the architecture of this country than years and years of, of, of bombing did, you know? 
And, um, and, you know, rather than knock stuff to the ground, rebuild. And, you know, I just, you know, I hate it. And like I said, Leith, you know, I would rather have seen these old buildings done up. I mean, yeah, I've been some amazing places in Germany where, you know, they've been badly damaged and everybody meticulously put back together again as it was. I mean, and one of the classic examples is Warsaw. I mean, the, the, the city centre of Warsaw was completely demolished by, by the, the, the Nazis, you know, when they, when they left it. And it was completely rebuilt. And it's, it's beautiful. And, you know, I love architecture. I love, you know, the work of masons. You know, you have to tip your hat off to and people that have built those buildings and stuff. And they should be preserved. They should be looked after. And rather than knocking the damn thing down and putting up a breeze block, you know, edifice, it's like, you know, invest some time and some money. And, you know, this is... Here I go again. Scott Campbell, did you catch any of Middleian's couch convention last weekend? No, I didn't watch it. And asking for fundraisers, I don't want to start asking money for this. You know, this is what I do. I mean, you know, people right at the start say, well, why don't you charge? I don't charge for this. I don't want to charge for this. It's like, you know, I get a buzz out of this as much as you do. I mean, this is my... This is my weekly gig, right? And, you know, I've, I was talking with, with, with Simona just the other day about it. And I was saying, you know, you know, on the build-up, I mean, the half hour before I'm coming on, I'm setting things up and make sure everything's about and stuff. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like preparing for a gig. And then you do this and, you know, I enjoy it. I've got to be on the top of my toes. There is nothing scripted. I've got the questions there. But, I mean, everything on the two hours. There's nothing. I don't work off um, cue cards. And it's just whatever comes in, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to ask anybody to pay for that. And as I said, I mean, you know, you guys are all in, in in crappy situations as well. And there's people, you know, as I said on the album there, but for the grace of God, there's people out there far worse off than I am. And it's like, you know, this costs me nothing to do. You know, it's a battery. It's you know, it's this. Bam! I'm not going to charge for that. You know, I don't want to charge for that. You know, and you know, in the same way as you know, I'm not going to do streaming gigs. This is what I do. And I'm happy to give this to you for two hours a week. And like I said, I mean, I get a buzz off it. I mean, after this finishes, it is like finishing a gig. I mean, I do have an adrenaline surge. You know, when I do this, you know, I'm, I am, you know, the performer is switched on, right? And, uh, you know, and after it, it's like, you know, I've got, you know, I have the come down. But having this once a week kind of fulfills me. I mean, this kind of makes up for, you know, not having dates. And I am still dreaming about gigs, you know. I have these dreams, like, going to stage and I can't find my stage clothes, right? Or, and they're either dirty or they're ripped or they can't find them or they've been left back in some hotel that exists in another part of the dream, right? And lyrics, it's like going out and, and can't find my lyric book, right? And getting all panicky because I can't find my lyric book and trying to get the stage. And then the Spinal Tap stuff, like, you know, hello, Philadelphia. I have dreams about going through rabbit warrens. You know, you're on stage in five minutes, on stage in five minutes, and you're trying to find out where the goddamn stage is. It's, they're just stress-missing dreams. They're just stress-missing dreams. Oh. Oh. Yeah, the original Penn Station in New York, yeah. Val Gamble. Uh, Trey, uh, I love the castles in Europe. Patrice, well, yeah. So, but it was, 
like I said, I mean, you know, Britain got smacked, but I mean, in, in Europe, I mean, there was a lot of damage done to all sorts of countries all over Europe. And, uh, and I think, you know, I think there's more respect given to old buildings. I think because so many were lost, I think there's just more respect given to older buildings across across there. I hate what, like I said, with, with Dalkeith. I mean, Dalkeith used to be a, a, a beautiful place, and it was uh, in the, the centre, and it's just been, it's devastated. But then again, we are, we're, and we're dealing with all COVID stuff. I mean, you know, local shops. I mean, uh, you know, the pressure that local businesses are under. I mean, you know, you know you let me, we hear stories all the time about, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and is this going to happen? Mandy Brain, Jesse Ann McConnell, ask the lovely Simona, darling. It's Simona. Hi, darling. Hi, hi. Tell us, Tell what's for tea today? Boring. Um, baked, baked potatoes and steak. What, and kind, what kind of steak? Rump steak. Rump steak. Rump steak. And what does the vegetables with the rump steak do? No like? vegetables, you get quark. Quark. <laughs> quark. And what is quark? Quark is, I don't know what it's called. It's called quark here as well. It's kind of, it's like a thick yogurt. And I mix it with cream to make it less thick. <laughs> it's just a great taste. And season it with salt, herbs, chili. Yeah. And it just goes with the potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else? No. Oh, someone's been doing herbs. That's ridiculous amount of herbs. Oh, you, you do your tea bags? No, not with the herbs. I tried, I tried oregano, majoran, and just for cooking. Yeah, we've got loads of dry stuff. Mm -hmm. And the chilies. Um, next week, next week if it works. Next week, if it works, I'll try and get the, the I'll try and get the camera, I'll try and get the phone out to the, the greenhouse, and I'll show you the chili the chili house. Oh, ooh, so juicy! It's amazing chilies. Right. Darren Gilder, does the best inspiration come from unhappiness? Um, that's a bit of a far quark corner me at the moment. Um, no, it's. Uh, I think when you're unhappy, when you're heartbroken, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you've got uh, a lot of those kind of emotions kicking around, it's and you're trying to formulate an answer to some of your problems, then lyrics definitely help me. That's part of my spectrum thing. Um, I find it a lot easier to deal with uh, problems by, by writing about them. And, you know, Another thing is, is when you're really happy, it's like, you know, you tend to enjoy, be enjoying the moment rather than going like, I'm feeling really happy, I'm going to write about it, you know. It's like, I'm just making love to a beautiful woman. Excuse me while I take a pen to paper at the side of the bed, just write about the experience. No, it's when she leaves, that's when you write about it. It's going, <laughs> Allegedly. Uh... Swansea Centre was flat. They royally screwed up the rebuild. No, no, knocking down the rebuild. <laughs> Familiar, isn't it? Amersfoort, <laughs> uh, Holland, Eric Berverts, Rob Schofield. Everyone loves restless natives in big country. Oh, yeah, that was a question. Well, and this kind of, this kind of ties into raw meat. 
Sean, Michael Flynn, any thoughts on the tragic demise of big country singer Stuart Adamson? Stuart was a lovely guy. You know, as I said in a, a previous FOF, um, we met up with big country because, I, because remember, I was living down in Aylesbury from, or, or the south. I was there from 82 and didn't come back here till 89. So I was seven years down in, uh, down in um, the sunny south. So, and I started my career with Marillion. You know, I didn't really kick about with bands up here. I mean, apart from Blew It and the first initial shows down in the, uh, the, the Shabby Tiger at Gala Shields and things. Um, so I was kind of, I wasn't part of the Scottish music scene. So I didn't know kind of, I didn't know the Simple Minds, I didn't know Big Country, and the, the first time I got to meet these guys was when we were doing festivals. And that was in the days when everybody thought, because I was a singer in Marillion, it was a Scottish heavy metal band. And, uh, and yet up here, it was all seen as being an English band, right? And um, so I met up with Big Country when I was, was out on the road, and um, we became good friends. And I think because they were done filming, and they were, and they were in a, Ah, go away, Mark. Because it was a, uh, because they were in a football. They were big Dunfermline Athletic supporters. I'm a Hibernian supporter, uh, Hib supporter. So and Stuart was was mad about foot. He was he was actually a really good football player, and I, I, something makes me think he was actually on the. He might have been on the books of Dunfermline when he was really young. But we met up and we we got on really well together. The rain is falling on the roof, and I can hear the rain falling on the roof. And I've also been hearing the bass playing of my stepson, Liam, through in his room. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Steve Vances most heartily for turning my stepson onto bass guitar, you know. So, anyway, bass guitar. Rain, bass guitar, Stuart Adamson, big country. It was, um... So we became mates, and we also liked a little bit of a scoosh or two. So, you know, when we did meet up, there was always a few beers, and the guys, were, they were great fun, and Bruce Watson and I became, became really good friends. And Bruce, of course, came with me to work on the, and, and co-write with me on the Field of Crows album. But Big Country were like, they were, they were kind of like Marillion, they came through, they, they, it's a whole story behind the Big Country thing. And, you know, they had the hits and then it slipped and, you know, and Stuart had his own devils, which I'm not going to talk about here. But, I mean, uh, he had his own demons to deal with and uh, he moved off and the band had split up and through... It was, it was, it was kind of, it was very sad what happened to, to Big Country at that period when Stuart went away to America. And... I, I lost contact with him. I didn't see him when he was working well. Was at the Lost Poets and things. And but I heard lots of stories, and they weren't great stories, mainly about his health. And um, I remember playing an SES gig, and I was standing at Chiddenfold Station on an empty platform, and I got a phone call, and I was a bit hungover, and. You know, and I was doing one of these, I'm, I'm going home from, you know, a couple of nights with the SES band playing fantastic gigs, so there was a bit of downer on it, and the phone went, my mobile went. And uh, it was somebody from one of the Red Tops in Scotland saying, 
so how do you feel about uh, Stuart then? Right? I said, well, so what do you think about Stuart? Uh, and I went, what do you mean Stuart? He said, Stuart Adamson, have you heard? I said, I've not heard anything about Stuart Adamson. And then they told me that Stuart committed suicide. And that was like taking a sledgehammer to the side of my head that morning. And, uh, and I came back up and all the papers were full of how great Stuart Adamson was and how brilliant Big Country were and what a great writer Stuart was. And I got really fucking angry. I got angry because part of the thing that had kind of led to Stuart's decision was the fact that he was getting nowhere. He had no support. And it was it really annoyed me that after he died, everybody was going, what a great writer, you know? And, uh, and it, you know, there are so many artists out there that, that just, and this isn't me calling for my, my corner either. It's like, but Stuart, I really felt for, because he was, he was a great writer and a great wordsman. I mean, you know, I remember absolutely howling my eyes out through, through the, uh, the Carnegie Hall in Fairman at his kind of, the tribute gig. And, you know, when Ships was played, I was just absolutely, I was down. I was done, you know. And he was a wonderful guy. And I'm, I miss him hugely. And I've, I'm very privileged to have known him. And as I said, Bruce and the rest of the guys remain great friends to this day. So that was Stuart Adamson, RIP. Anyway, enough. The air dinger is almost empty. And I will be moving on to some other beverage. <laughs> um, Sandy Fearful, hello. Uh, Sandy and Judith, thank you very much for the flowers you sent up a couple of weeks back. We still got them. Unbelievable, brilliant flowers. Sandy uh, wants a razzmatazz, and razzmatazz were going to send me up some proper examples of face masks. I don't have them yet, so I've not been able to evaluate them. I still use, I use my buffs. These are not COVID masks, by the way, they're not. Um, but they can help if you put a handkerchief and you put other material in the inside. They work. For me, they work. They work for Simona and I. Um, the masks, you know, we're now staring, you know, second wave, blah, 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 blah. The news from Birmingham today kind of says it all. I don't think um, we're being told everything, but I mean, um, it's a very obvious that with schools going back, universities, etc., etc., we're now the, the melting pot that occurs, the COVID agar dish is still very much there. There was just, it was just last week there was an announcement that there was a, there was a small cluster outbreak down in the, the, the local hospital at Harrington. It's there, it's out there. It's not a conspiracy theory, it's, it's like, you know, and you know, we're sitting here, it's, it's dark now. I mean, um, you know, the nights are fair drawn in and, you know, and as we go into, you know, this next part of the year, it is gonna to become tougher. Um, all I can ask, right, and I repeat, and it's what Nicola Sturgeon says on her broadcasts that she was doing every day to the Scottish people on BBC Scotland. It's just a reminder which is never, should never become boring and should never like shut your ears to it. The reminder is, 
wear the mask if you're out, right? Somebody laughs at you, who gives a damn, right? Wash your hands, keep them sanitised, right? And keep your distance, right? Without that, without those three, there are no gigs, there are no live appearances, there are no shows, there's nothing. There's going to be no football stadiums, nothing. And, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, the possibility of football going back in, in the next month or so. The way this is going on, it won't be. And it's up to us, everyone, every single person, to take care of themselves and be responsible and just, you know, be smart. You know, it's just employing a bit of common sense in it all. Right? And I think common sense is a major, major requirement, you know, for us to deal with all this. So if you're out this weekend, you know, be aware of it, you know, because it's, um, there are too many horror stories about, you know, the pickups and, you know, the post-seps and stuff now that, you know, you've got to wake up. We are going to be um, indulging here. I'll be watching uh, Hibs St Mirren, uh, if it happens, because two St Mirren players have been tested and got positive. So we don't even know if that game's going to go across. And that is with players working in a bubble. And uh, Mr Goodwin, the St Mirren manager, said, you know, there was no, you know, it was a complete bit of bad luck that's happened. And this is what it is. It's like you've just got to be careful because, you know, it can, it can slice you from anywhere, you know. So just be on your toes and be thoughtful of other people, right? And that is the end of Official Friday. That. I hope you enjoyed tonight. Uh, oh, I never played the new track. Will I play it? No. Yes. Okay. We can finish with a dance. Finish with something up. Have I got it on the right thing? The question is, is it the right one? Is it the right? Yes. It's a goodbye for me. This party is over. Thank you.
That's it. Until next week, Fisher Friday. Thank you very much. Take care and stay alive. Bye bye. Ciao.